Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside... Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel, and this is going to be our NCAA allegations episode of the podcast. Of course, Adam had the uh, the big scoop last week, first reported uh, that Tennessee is facing 18, a whopping 18 NCAA Level 1 violations for recruiting malfeasance that unfolded under Jeremy Pruitt's Tenure, and according to the NCAA, Pruitt, along with an assist from his wife and multiple assistants, uh, was peddling cash to players, recruits, recruits' families, um, etc. So uh, that's where things stand now, and uh, we're going to take a look at, at what Tennessee faces and how this might affect the program moving forward uh, and what it might mean for Josh Heupel here going forward. So Adam, uh, first off, uh, good good scoop. And uh, I guess in general, before we kind of dive into what this might mean for Tennessee around the corner, uh, just to, uh, I guess if you can kind of add on to, to the picture I was laying out there of what Tennessee faces here uh, in this packet of, of NCAA allegations. Yeah, I mean, a few things jumped out to me in the initial reporting of this and the first look at the notice of allegations. One, you mentioned the 18 level one violations. That's a really, really big number. Um, I'll, I'll counter that by saying it's important, I think, probably for the UT fan more than any, uh, to, to understand some context about those violations. Most of these violations dealt with recruiting visits during the COVID dead period when they were not supposed to be any recruiting visits. So the $60,000 that we reported, that's not all, you know, cash to players. A lot of that is expenses. It's paying someone's hotel or restaurant or entertainment, those sort of things. A lot of that would have been spent in a normal year without COVID when it's not a dead period. A lot of that would have been spent otherwise uh, on those similar expenses. So, you know, there was rule breaking in that brazenly. Um, but it wasn't necessarily all that cash going directly to players. Some cash was mostly in the Casey Pruitt part, Jeremy, Jeremy Pruitt's wife paying uh, some players for rent, car payments, those sort of things. That really jumped out to me more than anything uh, because that's egregious. That would be, I mean, that's a rule violation anytime in any era, any rules, uh, any, any era of rules, and it's the coach's wife. So that jumped out to me as much as anything. The moving forward, the penalties phase, I think we do have to consider the mitigating factors that were in the uh, notice of allegations, which commended Tennessee quite a bit for taking the lead in the internal investigation, using their legal team, their outside legal team to do the investigation, their cooperation, um, cleaning house, firing people, self-reporting, all these things that we think will probably help them. And if it does, they they I know we'll get into this, but they may avoid a bowl ban. They may be not hit as hard as it would otherwise. But we really don't know. 
Um, and, you know, where this goes, I think at least uh, Josh Heupel can sell it more in a way that he couldn't sell it in a positive way where before it was a little more of an unknown. I think that's probably the positive for him this week. Yeah, as you were saying there, Adam, a lot of this uh, does, it, it deals with Tennessee basically treating that 2020 year as if it was normal recruiting rules. Of course, it wasn't. The NCAA had a dead period going on. They didn't want athletes making official visits. Official visits are visits in which the school can pay for things uh, such as entertainment and and uh, uh, tra- transportation, etc. Et the, the school, uh, by and large, foots the bill on official visits. Unofficial visits, the recruit foots the bill. Uh, there were not supposed to be any official visits happening in, in 2020. And as you said, uh, Tennessee was basically functioning uh, as if there was no recruiting dead period and as if there was no pandemic and that the NCAA hadn't changed its its rules. And and as you said, there, there are other allegations on top of that. It's not just what happened in 2020. According to the NCAA, this stuff stretches back to 2018, but a lot of it uh, did occur during that, that 2020 year. So as I wrote in a, in a column, Adam, you know, the, the NCAA has proven over the years to be a fickle partner in these investigations. We've seen uh, people get the quote unquote exemplary cooperation before as they were lured to the guillotine, really. I mean, you know, <laughs> Missouri comes to mind. Missouri had the academic fraud case and those there were those words, quote, exemplary cooperation in the NCAA's report on the Missouri case, and also included in their report was a postseason ban across three sports. But as you said, NCAA enforcement at least says it's heading into a new direction where it's less emphasizing postseason bans and more emphasizing punishing the bad actors. That's supposed to be the new era of NCAA enforcement. We don't really have a test case for this yet, so I guess in some ways... Um, Tennessee can kind of be the litmus test for how much this exemplary cooperation helps avoid postseason penalties. But what do you think this means for Josh Heupel? Because for the first year and a half he's been in this role, he's always had like the dark cloud of the NCAA investigation hanging over him. Now we have a little more clarity, a lot more clarity, really, about what Tennessee faces. Hasn't reached a finish line yet. You know, we, we won't get to the sanction stage for probably several more months, as you've outlined in your reporting. But what do you think this means for Heupel as he tries to steer the program away from the Jeremy Pruitt era and, and into a brighter future? Yeah, I mean, I think there's direct ramifications and there's also the abstract. Um, the abstract is it's not going to be as much of a topic of conversation moving forward. I mean, you did, did it for longer than I did, and I have since then of where there's always uh, reasons to ask about the NCAA investigation until it was settled. We're sort of turning the corner now. And so, uh, you know, this uh, on coming up here uh, at the beginning of camp, uh, preseason camp, there will be obvious questions about Josh Hopple's uh, reaction to the, to the notice of allegations coming out. But then that, that narrative is going to kind of die down for the better part of the season, maybe even until after the season. Uh, depending on how long this takes to be adjudicated. So that's that's the abstract of it. It's just not going to be much of a topic of conversation that he has to deal with. It's not a distraction. Um, the more direct effect, I think, is probably going to be in recruiting. Um, you know, there's always negative recruiting in college football, uh, more so in the SEC, I would say, where it's mostly competitive, where it's very, very competitive, more so there than anywhere. 
and Tennessee has a top 10 class right now. Um, a lot of those guys, I don't think the NCAA case would affect them. I don't think uh, I don't think Nico, the five-star quarterback, was suddenly going to change his mind because his is tied so much to NIL money and some of the top-end guys. But when you're trying to retain recruits, a lot of those high-end three stars, some of the four stars that when you get close to signing day, other schools are going to try to lure them away. I think this helps to solidify them a little bit more because when you get close to signing day and guys are starting to you know, maybe wonder if they should go elsewhere, if they made the right decision in their commitment. Other schools will use anything that they have, any leverage they have against against you. And that could be, you know, Tennessee was supposed to be good this year and they weren't. Or Tennessee promised you this and they're probably not going to come through. Or we've got more NIL money or something like that. One of the things you use negative recruiting is, well, when you get there, they're going to have a bowl ban. So you're not going to play in a bowl while you're there, at least for a couple of years. They're going to cut scholarships, so they're not going to have much depth, so you're not going to be very good. Um, You know, the coaches there are implicated in something or the players are implicated in something, so they could vacate wins or they could lose staff or any of these crazy stories. A lot of them are crazy. Coaches can convince a kid of those things. Now that this is these allegations uh, and a lot of the reporting on those have seen the light of day, I think it's easier for Josh Hoppel to move forward and to look at those recruits and say, hey, look, the NCAA has pointed to the fact that our university did a whole lot to uh, sort of salvage this situation. We pushed the bad actors out. Um, NCAA legislation points to the fact that there probably won't be a bowl ban. Um, and the scholarships, that's come more and more to light how many scholarships have already been cut. So you can make an easy case to say there's not going to be that many cut before. It's just going to give Josh Hopple some things to point to to say most people say that we're mostly in the clear here. And by the time you get to campus, we, we will be in the clear. That's going to, I think, going to help him as much as anything, because one thing a coach does not want to do is have to answer questions about negative recruiting when a recruit is on campus. And he's going to have to do less of that uh, now that this has come about. I think it's more of a relief for him as anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would think almost certainly, and you've detailed this in some reporting, like Tennessee will probably have to vacate victories. Jeremy Pruitt and others could very likely face a show cause out of this. Maybe the institution gets hit with a fine, scholarship reductions, what have you. But I think the biggest thing that could hurt Josh Heupel would be a postseason ban. And as you said, that's something that can be used against them in negative recruiting. And we don't know for sure. As I said, and it's worth reiterating, the NCAA until it proves otherwise, I, I maintain as a fickle partner in these in these uh, investigations. However, I think you can sell if you're Josh Heupel on the recruiting trail of, hey, regardless of what a nev- whatever negative recruiting you're hearing, we're well positioned here in this investigation. You know, the NCAA seems to be uh, giving a lot of credit to Tennessee here. So, you know, you, you put the message forward to recruits that don't don't foresee any any postseason ban. And, and I think the other thing too, is we're in a different era um, in which athletes can transfer, be eligible at their new school immediately. So I don't know if you're Josh Heupel that you want to put this out there, but the reality is even if someone signed to play for Tennessee and then there's a postseason ban and they're like, you know what? I actually don't want to stick around there because of this. Well, you can always transfer and play somewhere else immediately. So I do think like the risk of of playing for a school that might face NCAA punishment is a little bit less in this era uh, than it what it otherwise uh, used to be. 
One thing I want to ask you about, Adam, because I think this is you've pointed this out in, in your reporting and it's it's important to kind of unpack here. Tennessee is facing an allegation of failure to monitor. That's a level one uh, allegation, level one allegation of violation. But it does not have the allegation of lack of institutional control. Now, that sounds a bit like semantics, right? Like failure to monitor and lack of institutional control kind of sound like the same thing. But of the two, failure to monitor what Tennessee's facing here is a lesser charge than the lack of institutional control. Just how important do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the lack of institutional control, I'd I'd sort of say maybe this isn't the best way, but it's simplified. Uh, a, a, A failure to monitor is you weren't watching the store. You, you didn't mean to do wrong. You didn't want rules to be broken, but you weren't keeping your eyes on things well enough. And so you failed in that. The lack of institutional control is you knew wrongdoing was you probably knew wrongdoing was happening. You let it go. You turn you not only turned a blind eye, but you you knowingly didn't punish mistakes um, and punish rule rule violations. And so th- there, there is quite a distinction when the NCAA looks at it. It's, it's more of, it's almost intent is, is involved. And Tennessee got the lesser of those. I think that points more than anything to the value of them changing leadership. Um, because, I mean, Phil Fulmer was not, the athletic director at the time was not implicated in this report. Um, but, you know, it, the timing was good, so to speak, that he did retire right at the same press conference that Jeremy Pruitt was fired and the NCAA investigations were were announced. So you push him out, you fire everybody implicated in this. And so you can say we failed in keeping an eye on the store, but we just cleaned out the store. And if it was the other, if it was a lack of institutional control, that means there's a deep seated problem in the athletic department, in the university, in the people around it, in the boosters and all that. And the NCAA, by not issuing that, uh, that accusation, that allegation, they're saying, we think you clean this up to a, to a reasonable extent. And that, there was some language in the mitigating factors in the, in the uh, notice of allegations that, that, that shows that. And again, I'll say that language helps Josh Hoppel in, in, in terms of perception. There's this perception versus reality. You've touched on the reality of the fact that we can say they're not going to have a postseason ban, but they may very well get one. We, we don't know. But the perception right now around Tennessee, and I think largely around college football, is it, it looks like it looks like they're not going to get hammered as hard as we would have thought otherwise. And if Josh Hoppel can win that war of perception long enough, whether or not it comes to reality is only going to matter at the time that it does. Because I, I think at this point, if Tennessee gets hammered by a postseason ban and a whole lot of scholarship cuts and a whole lot of other things, uh, then I think mostly the reaction is going to be, really? Really? I, 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 kinda, I think NCAA is coming down hard on them. I didn't see this coming. And so in, in that way, the Tennessee has probably done a good job of controlling the message and pushing the message the way that it wants, but it's got a lot of help from the NCAA in doing that. You mentioned something that's important to note, Adam, and that's that Philip Fulmer is not named anywhere in this this report. To me, I mean, there's a number of, I think, astonishing things as you as you pick through this. Number number one is that Jeremy Pruitt's wife, Casey, is accused of 
um, of, of having a hand in this and making thousands of dollars in, in impermissible vehicle payments. But there, there's a couple more things that just really strike me as um, really quite eye-catching. Number one is that Jeremy Pruitt was a ba- as bad as he was throughout three seasons, 16 and 19, Two of the three lose. Two of the three seasons he had losing records, uh, despite cheating, despite flagrant cheating. I mean, we can all say now that you know, well, in the NIL era, this this looks different. Well, that may be, but fact of the matter is, it was cheating then. It would be cheating now. He was cheating, you know, throughout his tenure, according to the NCA, and yet still, he went sixteen and nineteen. Um, he was fired for cause. In the end, all this caught up to him, and it allowed Tennessee to get out of a really bad contract. Tennessee foolishly signed a two-year contract extension, uh, a needless two-year contract extension going into that, that 2020 season. It's not like anyone was kicking down the door to hire Jeremy Pruitt away from, uh, away from Tennessee, but this allowed them to, to fire him for cause, and, and they didn't have to drum up anything, at least according to this report. It's like, Pruitt made it easy for him, in a way, for them to, to fire him for, for cause. So that's number one. But number two, like, where was Philip Fulmer during all this? You mentioned the NCAA is not accusing any, him of any wrongdoing. But my goodness, you had a, a former longtime football coach. The whole, the whole reason he got the job was because of his football expertise. Like, I mean, Tennessee didn't hire Fulmer for his longstanding history as an administrator. He wasn't – he didn't have a lot of – AD lines on the resume there. It was, hey, this guy knows Tennessee. He was a former successful football coach. It was a tumultuous time uh, after John Curry was fired and the Greg Schiano revolt. So they bring in Fulmer, and, and he said all along his number one priority was the football team and the football program. And I know for a fact he was at practice all the time because I was there and I saw Philip there all the time. He, he had a very close presence around that program, yet somehow... You didn't know any of this was was going on. That strikes me as bizarre. Yeah, a, a couple of points on that. Um, on the Jeremy Pruitt part of the fact that he didn't win much, I, I, I do think it's somewhat comical that one of the penalties out of this will probably be vacating vacating a lot of wins because there were, I think, thir- 13 players uh, that played in games that were ineligible, we now know. We don't have the names, but they were ineligible because of these violations, they played in those games uh, during Jeremy Pruitt's uh, tenure. I find it somewhat comical that the punishment against Tennessee is that Tennessee fans, you have to forget the Jeremy Pruitt era ever happened. (laughs) That doesn't seem like much of a punishment, Um, but that's what vacated wins essentially are supposed to do. These games never happened, or if they did, you lost them. You didn't win them. There wasn't that many to win. He he won uh, two games against um, ranked opponents, Auburn and Kentucky in his first year. He beat Indiana in the Tech Slayer Gator Bowl, and that, that was about it. Uh, the rest, I don't think, should bother much of anybody. Those games going away. On the Phil Fulmer part, yeah, I, I've tried to I've tried to put this through uh, the filter of if I was in the in the shoes of the athletic director, and I, I will say I talked to Phil Fulmer uh, recently after after the notice of allegations came out. Spoke to him briefly about it. He he says he can't talk about it because he was also employed by the university. So he's under the same confidentiality agreement as, as they have. He can't talk about the NCAA case while it's active. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It, it, I think you can be somewhat of a skeptic, a reasonable skeptic and say, how would he not have known the recruiting visits were going on, especially the ones during the COVID year? Um, 
you know, you mentioned the the earlier earlier tenured stuff where guys were coming onto campus. They're supposed to be on an unofficial visit, and instead they had their expenses paid as if they're an official visit. Are you going to know that? Not necessarily if you if it's hidden well enough. During the COVID year, you had guys that were visiting campus that were never supposed to be on campus. And and during that COVID dead period, you're supposed to have sort of, I mean, it was a skeleton crew on campus because it was COVID. It was a pandemic. Um, Phil Fulmer has been recruiting guys and conducting recruiting visits for decades for his whole adult life. The idea that he would not recognize that high school athletes walking around campus in the facility, getting tours of the facility, walking around with coaches and recruiting staff, perhaps with a badge around their neck and one or two parents walking along with them, maybe in a small group, maybe even wearing some gear that he would not recognize that those were recruits on a recruiting visit when there was supposed to be zero recruits on recruiting visits. That That's a little, that's a little hard to swallow. Um, now, now maybe you can sort of counter that with if, if he knew they weren't supposed to be there just because of COVID and that's only the only reason. And so he could have seen that and walked the other way down the opposite hallway and not looked at it. That happens a lot in college football. I've known a lot of guys over the years that it's a violation if they saw it. So then they walk right past it and look at the other direction and check their watch and make sure they park their car on the opposite side of the facility or something. Those, those little, uh, those little eye roll tricks are prevalent in college football always have been. He could maybe do that and say, that's a very minor thing that people are on campus. I'm just not going to pay attention to it. Again, this is all speculation, but he, he could have done that and not known that money was being spent on those guys. Uh, official, unofficial visitors are paying their own way. I don't know that he would necessarily know the hotel that that kid stayed in was paid for by Jeremy Pruitt or an assistant or that meal that they ate was paid by somebody else it seems like he probably would have known there are violations. I feel like he would have had to have been a little bit curious and dig a little bit to know that there were financial violations going on. Now, now that's not, I mean, your job is to know that and your job is to, is not to turn a blind eye. Again, I don't know if he did or didn't. He was implicated. He was not implicated in the, in the report, but it seems like he would have known guys that were not supposed to be there were there. He would have recognized recruits on campus, but, we likely will never know because he's not in the report and nobody at UT has ever put any kind of, any kind of blame on Phil Fulmer. So until that happens, he's, he's free and clear. And I think it'll remain that way. We've talked about the the future for the program under Josh Heupel and what this was, means for them. What do you see as the future for Jeremy Pruitt? Because as I read this, certainly unless he can pull some Houdini maneuver here and, um, you know, some vanishing act. Like, I just don't see how he's going to avoid the show cause from the NCAA. And I think, you know, we've seen guys get hit with a show cause before, and it, it isn't necessarily a career ender. However, those are usually coaches who are winners. Like, if you win at a high enough level, people always give you a, a second chance, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, several several coaches come to mind of, you know, that that have... Uh, run afoul of of the NCAA and have, have gotten a, a second chance. I mean, think about Bruce Pearl and and the penalties um, Tennessee faced under under him as basketball coach. Well, I mean, 
when now Bruce Pearl's having oodles of success at, at Auburn because Bruce Pearl's a career winner. And so guys who, who run afoul of the NCAA who win, they have to sit in the penalty box for a while. Oftentimes you, you have to serve. If you get a show cause, you have to usually wait out that time, whether it be one year or a few years, but you can bounce back. But from where I see it, like if Jeremy Pruitt gets hit with a show cause, or maybe even if he doesn't, you know, this, this report might just be, um, you know, crippling enough to, to Pruitt with or without the show cause, when you combine that with his lack of success as a coach, to me, I mean, this could be curtains for Jeremy Pruitt's college coaching career at, at the very least. Well, I'll put an asterisk on um, the fact that he has not been a winner in that he's not been a winner as a head coach. Now, if Jeremy Pruitt is available as a defensive coordinator or a linebackers coach, um, and he's free and clear of NCAA, uh, NCAA mess, he's hired in, in a second by just about anybody. Um, so he would be sought after as a coordinator. Um, it, it, I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get a show cause. A show cause can be one year. The standard is two to five years. I would think he would get at least of that two to five year range. You, you can get a lifetime ban. You can get an eight to 10 year ban. He's going to get multi years. In fact, I think his what three assistants and a, maybe a couple of uh, a couple of his recruiting staff will get that too. That's not going to affect them that much, by the way, because his uh, his assistants, uh, what two of them are in the NFL and two of them got pretty premier high school jobs. Uh, Shelton Felton is at uh, uh, Valdosta High, which is a powerhouse program in Georgia. Um, and uh, Brian Niedermeyer is at IMG Academy, where, by the way, Tennessee re- is recruiting a whole lot of players, so is everybody else. So that's pre- two pretty good high school jobs, and two other guys are in the NFL. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt can have a career in the NFL still, I think, at most as a position coach, I think, maybe as an analyst, which is what he was last year with the Giants. Um, I could easily see him parachuting into some uh, sweet gig at a at a – Alabama high school or a Georgia high school. I mean, he was at Hoover high for, for quite a while. That's where he first gained a claim. Um, he could get one of those jobs that nobody there is going to care that he, you know, broke NCAA rules. Um, I'm trying to, I've been trying to think of what's the timeline or narrative. What's the path that gets Jeremy Pruitt back to coaching FBS power five college football. And it's gotta be that he waits out a show cause and and then maybe like a Nick Saban towards the end of his tenure gives him sort of that rehab stint as an analyst. And, and you know, show calls, so much of the language in show calls, the NCAA rulebook is you can't coach and you can't recruit. That's the two big elements of a show cause. Um, you could be an analyst. Now, if you're under a show cause, nobody's going to waste their time to get you hired as an analyst if you're under a show cause. But when that starts to go away and you're at the end of it, you could make a case in a few years that he could be an analyst, break down film and not coach directly, coach players directly and not recruit. And if he's not doing either of those two things, y- you could start to push him into a coaching role at some point. He's not an old guy. I mean, what Jeremy's in his forties. So push this on down about a decade from now and everybody gets used to a lot of money getting handed around and Somebody needs a defensive coordinator, and and I, I could see him landing back into something. He's going to have to be really, really patient, and he's not going to have twelve point six million dollars, which was the buyout to sort of live off of. He's going to have to go get a a high school job that doesn't pay that, or he's going to have to get an NFL job, which also doesn't pay that. You know, Jeremy Pruitt kind of arrived on the scene in that MTV show Two a Days, 
in the mid-2000s when he was uh, the defensive coordinator under Rush Probes, who we could do a whole podcast on the life and times of Rush Probes. We won't even go there. But uh, but yeah, Jeremy, you know, he, he was on the it was on the TV screen during that time. So I'm wondering maybe go back to coach coach high school ball, like you were saying, and say, bring on the MTV cameras. Uh, let's let's do another reality show. But this time, not with Pruitt as a defensive coordinator, this time with Pruitt in the head coach's chair. Uh, that could that could be some compelling theater there. That might, that could uh, MTV's made worse shows than that. I think there might be might be something there. I don't I don't know that I see Pruitt like as an anal- as a television analyst. You know, we we see some of these former coaches that don't have much of a path for more coaching. They hit the they hit the TV show circuit, the pregame shows or the booth. I don't know that I see that in Pruitt's future, but I like that idea. Coaching high school ball, maybe getting an MTV reality show following him around there there'd be some drama there maybe he can get his wife a spot on the show where she's handing out cash payments for for guys vehicles what about uh why not go coach i'm trying to think could he coach junior college under a show cause um I think yeah they could. probably don't care that's the in in jcaa this is different than the yeah, ncaa right. they, they, they don't care about an ncaa show cause i'm sure last chance you I, I don't know how much you watched Last Chance You, but those are phenomenal. And if you could, you could drop Jeremy Pruitt into one of those, I'd watch. Uh, I think he's got to look into something like that. Uh, you know, I, there, there's so many weird narratives to this, uh, but I think, I think one thing that jumps out to me that really has to do with coaching and football and kind of judging uh, Jeremy Pruitt and the job that he did or didn't do is his lack of judgment in a number of ways. I've heard a lot of people talk over the last few days about. You know, Jeremy Pruitt didn't, you know, he didn't just learn that. He didn't just figure that out on his own, how to cheat in this way. He learned it from somewhere. He was at Alabama, Georgia, Florida State, elsewhere before this. So the insinuation is, well, they're doing it there. So he also, he learned that he's doing it here. Whether that's the case or not, I, I could only speculate or guess or whatever. Um, but the way that he did this, and I'll just point out that the 51-page notice of allegations runs through all the expenses that were paid for these recruits. If you're going to do that, you you need to do it discreetly. If you're paying for stuff you're not supposed to be paying for, and if you're bringing re- recruits on campus when they're not supposed to be there, you put them in the same hotel. You use like one hotel. You take them to the same restaurant. You don't take them to 15 different restaurants all over Knoxville and use a dozen different hotels and take them to their moms at different nail salons, and you take them to Gatlinburg and I mean, you know, you've got to streamline this process if you're going to do it, and you sure don't spread everything around because if you're a coach that's not winning and you do have a contract that the university would love to get out of, you're not going to flaunt the fact that you're breaking the rules because if you do that, somebody's going to pounce and you're going to be the scapegoat. You're going to deserve it in this case, but you're going to be the scapegoat, and uh, and he just did not seem to know what that his footing was very loose, and I think it got away from him pretty quickly. Yeah. In a word, I would say sloppy. That's that was my reaction when I read through this was very, very sloppy uh, attempt at, at cheating. And and that word, I think, could apply at times to the performance of his team on the field. At times that was sloppy as well. But Josh Heupel trying to speed away from from that and put the Pruitt era behind him. Seems like seems like the NCAA report would be a, at least a small feather in the cap of Tennessee here as they await judgment day adam will continue to have all the coverage 
uh, on this. And if you have not read his reporting so far over at Knox News, I would encourage you to do so. He was he was first on on the case here, breaking this this news. And he's had some uh, very extensive and thorough follow up coverage. But for now, we'll leave it there. And thank you for listening to this edition of Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.